If you've got your Bible, would you open it to the book of Romans, chapter 15, actually. And please make that sound as soon as you find it. As you're turning, uh, let's pray. Lord, would you be with us this morning as we dig into your word and to be a light for our feet, a lamp for our path that so many of us need that direction that you have and that we could find it in your word as a promise that you've given us. And so we ask for that this morning, that it would be a word from you to us specifically. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. And you know what? If the Lord starts to talk to you, you know, while I'm talking, feel free just to check out, write down, don't, you know, if he's speaking to you, write it right then. Don't try to all remember that later. Just write it so you don't forget. I'll still be here when it's done and uh, you can always get the podcast, but just know that if the Lord, you know, he wants to speak to each of us individually. Sometimes it's through me. Sometimes it's, he does what he does. Uh, Jeremiah said, I'll write my will on your hearts and on your mind. So just be aware that he might speak to you in that way this morning. Romans 15, I was reading this week and it was intriguing to me because we're kind of coming to the end of what Paul, this letter that he had written, this theological you know, treatise that is un- unbelievable. And I was, in verse 23, it was, this is what caught me. Is like he said in verse 23, but now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing for many years to see you, well, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. And if you were here a couple of weeks ago, we talked about that. Uh, we don't know if he ever made it to Spain. His plans uh, were not, his joy and his contentment were not dependent on whether his plans worked out or not. It was following the purpose that God had for him. But he said, I'm going to go there when I go to Spain, and I hope to visit you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I have enjoyed your company for a while. Now, however, I am on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the saints there. And we talked about that that was, uh, at that point in Jerusalem, there was a famine that had been prophesied in Acts chapter 8. And there was persecution that had been begun under Claudius that was continuing. And if you were a Christian in Jerusalem, you were in dire straits. We uh, had a special guest last week, and we talked about what's going on with Pastor Saeed in Iran and what is continuing to go on this week. It's just insanity what's happening. But as believers being there for his family here and there, that's what Paul was saying. I'm going to go to Jerusalem because I need to bring some of this to the saints there. But what what really jumped out at me was, you know, that verse back there where I planned to do so. I, I wanted to see you. I've longed for many years. And I'm thinking, how does he, he's longed for many years to see these people that he's never met before. Like, you know, he's longing for a place that he's never been in, in a genuine longing. And when I started to read verse 1 of chapter 16, I figured out what it was and why he longed for this to get to this place. He says in verse 1 of chapter 16 that I commend you to our sister Phoebe, not from friends, a servant of the church in Centuria. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and to give her any help that she may need from you, for she has been a great help to many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me, and not only I, but all of the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. And greet also the church that meets at their house, and greet my dear friends, 
uh, Pepinitas, aren't you glad your mama didn't name you that, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. He goes on to list 35 people by name in a place he's never been. I counted it, I'm like, 35? And it hit me as I was reading it that he was writing about these people because these were his friends. When you look at Aquila and Priscilla, in Acts chapter 18, he rolls into the town called Corinth. He doesn't really know anybody there, but he meets Aquila and Priscilla who were in Corinth because they had been kicked out of Rome because they were Jews. If you were Jewish and in Rome during that era, Claudius evicted everybody. You were kicked out of your homes, kicked out of your stuff, whatever you could carry on your back, and you had to leave the city. And that happened to Priscilla and Aquila as a husband and a wife. And he met them in Corinth because they were tent makers. So they brought whatever stuff they had, and they opened a little tent business in Corinth and were starting their lives over again. That's where Paul would encounter them. Paul would actually go to work with them, his day job that we've talked about, you know, over the years. And you maybe know that, well, Paul worked a day job, and he did, sometimes. Sometimes he was in prison. So for those of you that would make the argument that, uh, you know, a preacher can't, you know, you've got to be bivocational, that's great. But you also should be in prison if, we, if, you, if you want to follow that thread. But Paul was in prison, sometimes when he wasn't working. But he was doing what God had put right in front of him. And sometimes that meant swinging a hammer, and sometimes it meant sewing some seams, and sometimes it meant sitting in prison, but all times it meant being a conduit of the Holy Spirit to the people that God brought across his paths. And what I see in this, a guy that was Epiphanitus, the first convert in Asia, Paul had been to Asia. And you can go down this list and begin to see that what Paul had done was make a bunch of friends all along the way. And that really jumped out at me because when I was a kid and we went, I went on my first mission trip and we did uh, skits. Have you ever done the skits? Come on, don't, am I, swear I'm the only one, I'm going to walk out of here. Okay, here we go. Uh, skits, because we're going to get people to, we're going to win them to Jesus. And what we do is you do the skits and then somebody would do the little sermon and bring in the net, I think is what we called it. And then somebody would do a count and we'd write it on the little postcard, the three-by-five card, and then we'd leave. And that was evangelism. And I remember praying that summer that I didn't want to enjoy it too much because I didn't want God to call me to do that permanently. <laughs> Welcome to my shallow heart, but I did. That was uh, 16 years old, so some years ago. Um, but what I've learned as I've gotten older... And you know when I learned it was, I think when I really learned it was three years ago when the news came on that there had been an earthquake in Haiti. Because I actually hated that country. Okay? I didn't like going there. I don't like being hot. I don't like sweating. I don't like crowds. I don't like chaos. I don't, it was like everything that, that, that was about it. And so I, just, I, don't, I don't want to go there. I don't want to... You know, and I, and I even intentionally, I'm not even going to learn the language. How shallow is that? I don't even want to try to learn because I'm not going to be coming back here very much. But the earthquake happened. And I remember being completely panicked 
as the news came across, I'm a, a news junkie in my uh, TV at my office. I had an office. Uh, we, I basically worked off a $40 Costco table, but I had a nice TV on the wall because I figured, you know, I want to know what's going on in the world. And, but the earthquake came on the news, and I thought, oh, no, that's not going to be good. I thought, oh, no. Uh, and then I began to picture people's faces and names in my mind and began to think if, you know, if I were writing a letter to, you know, Haiti that I would be able to say to uh, Sebastian, you know, hey, buddy, your English is doing great. But back then I'm thinking, is Sebastian alive even? Is he okay? You know, is Naptali, who is a girl that we have uh, sponsored for now five years, is she even alive? I know where she lives. Uh, or, or Gabby, who is uh, a machine, uh, loves Jesus. That smile is not just for the camera. He wakes up with it. And what I had learned inadvertently was that mission was really about being friends with some people. That mission and relationship are really inseparable with each other. And that when I put it into the context of I'm just going to do some skits and everybody raise your hand, that sort of whitewashes it and creates it in an event-style thing. And, but when it is in the context of friends, it's different. And it is, uh, gosh, it's so much more amazing. We, we've been going back to this particular city for years. And they ask me, how is your family? I asked Ethan, actually I didn't even ask Ethan, he brought it up, our little seven-year-old boy, who by the way didn't want to go to Haiti. Uh, he was mad at us. And at the, when I was getting the uh, prescriptions at the uh, pharmacy the day before we left, I'm like, I'm looking through the thing and it's, okay, there should be one more for Ethan Tyler. And he pipes up out of nowhere. They're basically forcing me to go. I don't even want to go. <laughs> He's like six. I'm like, dude, I force you to eat broccoli. You know, what are you talking about? But he said, hey, I want to, I want to go back. I miss my friends. At youth the other night, uh, they were subjected to me. Jim was in Vegas, so I got to be a, a pinch hitter youth guy for the night. And I asked Grant Fadley, you know, he's back from uh, Haiti, or Haiti, India with their family. In fact, there has been a Tizra sighting back from California. Didn't it just feel better in the room this morning? It was like, oh, Tizra's here. That's why. Right? But Grant said, oh, it's bittersweet. I miss, I love, I'm glad that I'm home. They were there for a year, but I miss my friends. And then when I think of those and I could go on and on, I think, oh, that's what he meant. I've longed to go there because, man, he lived a lot of life with Aquila and Priscilla. And when he said, no, uh, you know, these are my friends, they've, they've risked their lives for me. What jumped out at me was Jesus's words in John 15, that no greater love has any man than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. And boy, did that make sense to me because I've seen it. And I think that it doesn't even necessarily have to mean that I am dying for you in the context of what he was saying. I believe that it was. But the, when it talks about I am crucified with Christ, yet I live that when I lay down my life for my friends, that I sometimes I'm laying down my comfort and I lay down it when I get on a plane and fly for 30 hours or I lay myself down when I challenge invite my neighbors over and talk to them about Jesus. I'm laying down my life 
when I am on a mission to follow what Jesus has asked me to do. And the beautiful thing about it is that it really doesn't suck. Like, it's awesome because you make these great lifetime relationships that go on forever. That 20-some years ago in Guatemala, I still stay in touch with those folks. And we just pick up right where we left off. But, you know, we were in Guatemala for two months together as teenagers. I don't talk to hardly anybody in my graduating class from high school. But I know where almost everybody that I was with in that summer in Guatemala, the two summers actually back-to-back, I know where they are today. We know we still stay in touch with each other. I thought about that in context of Romans 16 and what does that mean for us as a church? And we just got back from Haiti again and uh, thinking, well, David, uh, Christopher, in fact, David, if you would would join me. David was with me this time, as was uh, Sarah, who was up here singing. I'm not sure where she went. Um, But what better sermon is there than our lives lived out? Right, And that's what I feel like I have lived Romans 16. And like I feel like when we were even talking about in Haiti, like do we need to do another, go to another place now? Is, is, is our time here finished? And all I could think was, man, I love these people. I don't want to go someplace else. I, you know, it's not that God wouldn't call us to at some point where they're completely self-sufficient to, to start somewhere else. But man, that's really sad because these are my friends. And you know, I asked David to, to join me this morning. David came on board with us at the mission uh, completely by faith uh, because I'm getting a little old. And, you know, I was gone almost 12 weeks last year overseas. And things started getting infected um, randomly. Uh, and I was just wearing down. And God brought somebody along because we've had more people want to go. We've had churches from around the country contacting how can we be like this and it was at the right time when when David came in and David is a a tour manager by day so he knows about herding rabbits uh, but has had a heart for mission since you know he was in high school and wants to to do that so it was it was just perfect timing for us to have him come on board and so he has been with me to Togo uh, this year to India and to uh, Haiti this past week and it was interesting because Haiti was the last place he went but it was uh, the place we've really been invested in the most. So when you think about that, David, you know, just what, you just come back, had some time to process and see what is your takeaway from what you've heard and now what you've experienced on the ground there? Well, uh, so I, like you guys, have seen the pictures and heard the stories and was really excited to get to go and uh, I've commented several times on how, us, you know, Darren and I are growing together as friends. It was cool for me to be able to go, even outside of the, outside of the mission. It was just cool to be able to go with my friend, as like you know, like my girls are little, and when their friends come over, like the first thing they want to do is show off their room, or actually, when anybody comes over, the first thing they want to do is show off their room, you know, because that's like what they're proud of. Like, hey, this is what I've done, and I drew this picture, and I put it on the wall. So it was cool for me to be able to go and see, like, what Darren had done um, in Haiti, but, um, or rather, what Darren has spearheaded, because it's what you guys have done in Haiti. And uh, I just want to tell you personally, firsthand, from my perspective, it's awesome. It's really, really cool. Um, 
not just because there are buildings there that clearly weren't there before. Haiti's kind of the place, it's one of those places where, you know, you didn't have to use your imagination a lot. Like, it was very obvious when Darren said, okay, well, you kind of have to imagine that, like, none of this was here before, and then we built this or whatever. Like, it's very clear uh, what you guys have done. It's just, yes, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> this didn't just come out of nowhere. Um, and I mean that not just with the, the structures, but with the people too, because there is a stark and radical difference uh, from the people that you see and interact with. Uh, like when we were there, we just did a crusade with just thousands of people uh, filled the streets. And then uh, it was a collective of all of the church bodies uh, in Jacmel area. I got a little together. charismatic, don't you remember? Yes, it was awesome. <laughs> <clears throat> Uh, but, but so all of these people, there were so many people, but then there were even more people who were, you know, like from Jacques Mel who came to see what was going on. Uh, so just like what, you know, I mean, like, I think you guys could relate to that here. Like when we had the call, you know, and there were just thousands of people marching down the street. And then, but besides that, there were thousands of spectators who wanted to see like what these Christians were doing, why they were there. And so, uh, but there's, but there's just a radical difference of the people that you interact with in Jacques Mel. Even some of the other, you know, like the, the body of Christ as a whole versus the people that are plugged in and connected and a part of Restore Haiti, the people that are uh, a thriving part of it. And it's huge. I mean, it's huge. This impacts a massive community that you can't see with your eyes when you get there because the houses are kind of tucked away and everywhere. But, you know, when it comes feeding time or when it comes church time or when it comes whatever, I mean, just people come out of the woodwork and they're just... I mean, they're smiling, they're happy, they're rela there's a peace there, and you can just see that that's not, it's not typical of the yeah. area around them. One of the little old ladies there, I asked her once what the main difference is, can she feel now? And she said that it was that the little boys and girls don't walk around singing voodoo songs anymore. They sing Jesus songs. And uh, when you look around and see the vacant voodoo temples, mm -hmm. and you see... Over Nelson, we've talked about him before. He actually warns one of the construction crews now. Lifetime voodoo priest that shut his shop down and gave his life to Jesus. And yeah, yeah. It's that's pretty, huge, guys. Because <laughs> if you're a mama in Haiti, they think of voodoo. We think of it like ooh, weird, like you know, thing. But they think of it like, well, I'm going to the uh, the minute clinic. And so it's hard for them to understand that there's a, oh, this is, this isn't. And so you can save your chicken. You don't have to take your chicken to the voodoo guy and have him remove the curse. Uh, right. But, but they would do it anyway just because of the superstition and the thing. But now there's no voodoo guy to take it to. So it's, you know, the kid can eat more. And that was something I noticed these last couple of trips that I had not noticed before was in the feeding program, I noticed leftovers. And at first I was like, well, this is weird. And then it hit me, well, these, most of these kids' parents now have moms and dads working, whether it's in construction or in the feeding program or the, you know, as LaFleur talked, there's, you know, over 50 people that are working in jobs, and then that doesn't even include the tertiary jobs. So it's not as critical anymore. Now, that doesn't mean they can afford to, you know, go to school or send their kids to school, and so there's help that needs to be done there, but I thought, oh, this is progress. This is really great news. The question that I wanted to ask David, uh, so David's been, he's floated on a canoe in the Amazon, uh, he's uh, not Bamazon, but like Amazon. He has uh, he's slept in a hammock with me in the bush in northern Africa. He's been to Nepal and, and Guatemala. What I wanted to ask you was, what is it that happened in your life that is different 
in a place like that, as far as your relationship with Christ, what is different about that than, uh, than if you just uh, stayed home and didn't go to any of those places? How do you experience God differently there than in the safety of your own home? Well, that's, it's kind of hard to actually put into words. It might sound like a simple question, but it's, it's something I really have to give a lot of thought to on how to actually answer that. And I mean, if you guys, any of you guys get to know me, I'm, I'm kind of an adventure seeker. I mean, I, and I'm, I'm just curious, way, way, way curious. And so, um, <laughs> he really is. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I'm drawn, like I have a bent inside of me to kind of like want to experience things anyways. But, uh, you know, I mean, in any of those situations, even in uh, the things that I was really excited about doing, you know, like, I mean, going to Nepal, I mean, for a guy like me, that sounds exciting. Absolutely, I want to do that. But then by the time you, you know, you've gone through 38, 40 hours of travel to get there, and then you get there and realize that there's not a bed, there's just dirt, and then they, you know, you can't stomach any of the food because it's too spicy or too bland or whatever, you know, you start really wondering, okay, why did I do this again? And but, um, you know, it really comes back to exactly what Darren is describing there. Then you meet the people, and you, uh, you, you start interacting with people, and you start not just seeing something that, you know, possibly had an interest up front, you know, that maybe this will be exciting, but you, you start really getting connected with people. And, man, it didn't take me long at all to, uh, to catch on to, like, okay, so I've, I've spent basically my life trying to learn about this God that I serve or whatever. And for as open-minded and as venturous as I thought I was or whatever, I really had a very tiny glimpse of the God that was presented to me my whole life because he'd all been presented to me inside of uh, well, Western society, uh, what we would call America, but let's just say Western society as a whole. So when it snapped in my mind and I realized, wait a minute, this God has way more personality than I thought. It's like stumbling on someone's iPod and going, whoa, there is, <laughs> I thought you listened to country music, but there's all <laughs> kinds of stuff in here, man. I mean, there's just <laughs> a radical display of stuff. And, and it, I mean, it come down to clothing to music to atmosphere to I mean just people are so radically different and I realized then that when I listen to the Holy Spirit and I allow him to draw me to the places that he's anxious to show me he's just like you're he's just like a kid wanting to show you his room there is so much more that he's wanting to show me and it wasn't because I have an adventuristic spirit or a bent towards curiosity or whatever. It was just that I let down my guard enough to be led by the Holy Spirit. And he was drawing me, as I believe he's drawing all of us, like, hey, can we, I want to show you something else. Like, I'm welcoming you in this house, and you're comfortable with the living room, but there is so much more to this house. And there is so much more to see that you can't even put into words very easily when somebody asks you a blatant question about it. <laughs> yeah, I think that that's the, you know, I really, David and I were talking earlier, I'm like, I was, my struggle was, I don't want to present it in a way where if you never go to another country that you can't experience God. But at the same time to say that, boy, boy there's some really awesome things out there that God is doing. And so to, if nothing else, to awaken the possibility in you but the, the big picture of it, though, really to say that 
you know, we uh, we, were, we had a meeting last night with our small group leaders, and uh, it was funny because it was, uh, you know, our small group community group, conduit communities, where we're just encouraging them to, you know, be free, let the Spirit lead you. We're not coming with an agenda to drive you, but the idea being that in, even in those settings, that when you're on a mission that God has put you on to bring the truth to, to your neighbors, to your schools to your the people that God brings into your life and that and then Cortland coined a phrase from neighbors to the nations and thought wow that's pretty much sums it up because you can experience God in your living room in that environment if it is about the mission that he's called us on awakening the possibility that you can you are qualified you are inherently gifted with the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you you to bring that to your family, to your neighbors. And it doesn't, it's not about trying to close the deal. We talked about that last night. I'm not a sales guy trying to get you to sign on the dotted line. That's not the metaphor Jesus gave. He gave a metaphor of planting seeds. I'm a farmer. There's a lot that happens after I, the seed leaves my hand that's completely beyond my control. But as long as I'm sowing seeds and the seeds just be in the word bringing truth to somebody who's hurting. And, and when we're doing that in our purpose, there is amazing things. And, I, and this morning we're talking about mission and a global presence. And, and you're involved in that whether or not you even know it. Just every time you write a check in the offering, you're a part of it because this is a platform, so to speak, on which we're working from. But the idea that God can in our... And I guess that was the part of it, just to bring it back even to Romans 16. It's the relationships. These, you're my friends. If I were writing a letter from Haiti to here, I would write, you know, names and say, how are, you know, how is my daughter Ashley doing back at home? Or how's Oz? How's Russ and Angie? You know, I would, because we're, there's relationship with it. And in the context of a relationship, you're there for your friends. You're there when they're down. You, you help to bring them back up again, you, with, whether it's with food or, or practical things or just a hug and loving on them. And, and that just builds a lifetime of, of, of friendships for us that the gospel is, is wrapped up in. David, one question for you that if you could leave us with a uh, message, like a single, like if it, this is you, the only thing you get to say today is this, like a message for us. What would that be? It's absolutely possible. And I feel really strongly that there are some of you here this morning that just need to hear that. Hmm. We've talked about before how as a church collectively, like, we all obviously share some of the same DNA, so I'm speaking from the perspective that I know you wouldn't be here or you wouldn't be a part of this church if some of this didn't fascinate you on some level at least or have some kind of interest in that. So I'm not and I'm never going to be a cheerleader to try to convince all of you to go on a trip or whatever. I mean, I, I just assume that everybody's here because we all gravitate towards it to some degree anyways. But I know that the number one thought uh, that everyone thinks in their head, uh, it's overwhelming. It's, uh, I mean, I remember my very first missions trip. It was overwhelming. And I had wanted to do missions for probably 20 or 15 years at least before I ever got to take that first trip because I just kept waiting all the time. It was like it was a huge part of who I was. I wanted to do it. And, I, you know, I was absolutely sold out on the idea, but it was impossible. 
I mean, I made enough money to feed my family, pay my bills, and maybe that was it, or, you know, there just was never, ever space or whatever. It just, it always felt impossible and overwhelming to me, but I want to share with you guys this morning, it is possible. It's absolutely possible, because when the Holy Spirit is inviting you in to show you those other things, there are so many cliche things I could say, you know, of, well, if it's his will, then it's his bill, and, you know, and blah, blah, blah. I know all that. I've, I've heard a thousand you of them. You could say that. But uh, they're true, though, you know. I don't want us to get wrapped up in uh, the fear of finances uh, over it because it's just yeah. possible. It's amazing the things that God has done, and it can be just as exciting and just as much a part of our testimony as for somebody living in a third world nation who doesn't even have a proper roof over their head to suddenly there's, you know, I don't, I don't know the politically correct term for it, so I'll just say a rich white guy who showed up and built them a new house. And well, that was inconceivable to them before that. How do you explain that that happened or whatever? Well, it's because that's what the Holy Spirit led to do. And in each of our lives, for each of us, if you feel like God's prompting you for this and you feel like now this is a season for that, I absolutely assure you, as overwhelming of a thought as that could be, it's absolutely yeah. possible. When I, went, uh, when I was 16 and I went on that first trip, this guy, uh, his name was Ron Luce. I was like 16. He might have been 23. Uh, but he, on the phone, he's like, uh, you know, look, Darren, if, if somebody offered to pay for your trip, would you, would you go? Cause I'm like, I thought in my head, if it's 200 bucks, you know, I could go. My dad was unemployed like again. And we were, uh, we just, I just had nothing. We were, you know, I was like, well, yeah, absolutely. I'm thinking he's going to pay my trip. And he, uh, said, okay, cool. Because you know, if you decide to go, God will pay the way. I'm like, oh man, he got me. But, but you know what? He was right. <laughs> It was April of uh, 87, and I uh, didn't have anything. I mean, nothing. And I was in a town who had nothing. And somehow, God miraculously, inside of three months, provided $1,500. It, it was all the money in the world to me then, you know, for two months. And so I've, when to talk about that it's possible, it's, it is. If the Lord is leading, it's just possible with that. And so that was a huge word for me that we've seen over and over again. Our family went last year. I promise you that we did not have the money to say, take all four of my children, uh, but God miraculously from bizarre uh, people I didn't think about, you know, provided for us. And to say to you this morning that that is possible if the Lord is tapping on your shoulder, if money is the only reason, go ahead and mark that one off the list. There's other things maybe on your list, but you can cross that one off because God will figure that one out with it. So uh, quickly as we're getting ready to land this, David, can you talk about what's... The trips that we have on the books for this year. Yeah, we can talk about. Uh, I just the, jumped over. He's like, well, wait, I thought we, we did. Wow. Yeah. Okay, we'll go to point. Welcome to Darren calling an audible. <clears throat> um, yeah, so we have uh, upcoming, we have two opportunities. Uh, I can't publicly uh, share everything for everything that's possible for the year. So I do want to reassure you that there is more possible this year. But immediately, we have two opportunities. One uh, would be a open trip to Haiti, which means that anybody listening to this sermon in this room or on this podcast is completely possible for you to go and for you to come with us. We'll be leaving April 20th. Oh, cool. 
If we fill up April 20th through 27th, then we're going to add a 14th through the 20th. Yeah, it's possible that the week before. We're getting uh, close on the 20th. But. Right. In April, uh, you, could pop, <laughs> you could completely be on a plane with us and meeting Jean Lefleur, who you just got to meet this guy. He's a great guy. And he's got it figured out. I, I, I don't know if you can identify with me where, you know, if you've grown up in the church and you spend so much time listening. I've heard a thousand pastors and I've been, you know, through a thousand services or whatever. And then you hear the occasional guy who you're like, wow, this guy's got like got it right. This guy's actually, hey, that's truth. Um, much like when we listen to our <laughs> leader friend, Darren. Yeah, that dude's got it. <clears throat> Lafleur is one of those guys. So he's totally somebody you have to meet. Uh, that prod, That trip... Uh, let me just say real quickly, we'll focus more than likely on a, a particular building project. And we also are already uh, have committed to, um, to have a group join us that will be focusing on the young ladies around there. Which if you're familiar with Secret Keeper, uh, the, this national thing for young middle school girls, Secret Keepers with Dana Gresh out of Pennsylvania, uh, they're coming with us to do a Secret Keeper for our young ladies there. Yeah, like a conference yeah. thing. Yeah. So there'll be a, a huge push, and that will more than likely roll over into all of like women's interests sort of thing. So women of all different ages. Yep. Um, yes. If that interests you, or if Haiti interests you, there is a sign-up sheet on the back table. And you don't have to commit to anything today, but if you want more information about it, or you feel like just by listening to this, you either know what I'm talking about or you don't. But some of you know you've been waiting for somebody to give you that opportunity, and I'm speaking to you directly and saying, this is it. You can totally go with us to Haiti. That's Spanish. What? Nothing. Go. Sorry. We don't have an actual monitor up here. So Uh, the second opportunity I'm extremely excited about will be to, um, much like Haiti for Darren, uh, one of my unexpected uh, surprise, most favorite places on the whole planet uh, is the nation of Guatemala. And we are going to, as a church, we're going to take a trip to Guatemala uh, we more than likely will leave June 1st and, uh, and come back uh, around June 9th. And what we will be doing is building exactly what you see behind me and possibly one of the worst photos ever taken of me. But look at the uh, The ponytail is bringing it all together for me, though. Behind it. <clears throat> uh, we will be building houses. Uh, these houses. And I don't care what your level is. I've taken my five and seven-year-olds, and they helped. Uh, this trip will be open to families. And, uh, well, anybody of any age. Uh, so this would be a great opportunity for youth. This would be a great opportunity for a family experience for you to go through this together. Uh, and what we're going to do is we're going to join with another group, and we're going to build houses for people who, uh, if you can flip to, well, I can't see your thing. Um, for people who didn't, didn't have houses before, and the houses are great. They're very simple. It's about 10 by 10, 12 by 12. It's a, it's a very simple structure. But uh, it's made of corrugated tin and four by four posts. But it has a concrete floor. It has a door that locks. It has a window, and it replaces uh, a house that was made formerly out of corn stalks. Buried, whole house, and um, obviously uh, much more structurally sound. I uh, over the years, yeah. Here we go. Is a picture of an older house, uh, and the cleared land uh, where we built a house right next to it. So. Um, yeah, I have built with this other team 
36 houses or so uh, in Guatemala, and it's a, it's a project that I hope for us to be able to get involved in as a church that just like Katie will be able to have some longevity too because it's a really cool thing to go back and walk through a village and be like, I helped build that house and I helped build that house. And it, it, it's, a, it's a great community relationship building. The, the last thing that I wanted to land on, so put those in your in the front of your mind, not the back of your mind as far as opportunities go. There are signups for both in the For back. both of them. Yeah. The other thing that I wanted to present to you as a church this morning is something we talked about with our elders. We brought the elders and their wives and leaders together uh, for prayer at my home a couple weeks ago. And I sort of floated out there what the, I felt like the Lord was saying uh, for us for Haiti. And we're not a, uh, hey, Darren, been to the mountain, got a word and come down kind of place. We're a, what's the Lord saying and, uh, and weigh it out. And what I have felt the Lord leading us for a while in, in our personal lives was, uh, again, investing in people, not projects. A project is great because it keeps us from getting rained on while we're investing in people. Uh, a house for a family in Guatemala keeps them out of the elements and keeps them alive so we can invest in them. Those are not the goal. Those are things we're doing along the way to investing in them. One of the things that I, we have seen in Togo that has been so amazing, Togo, Africa, has been the Bible Institute. The young men and women that are going through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, I literally get up at 7 in the morning until like 2 or 3 in the afternoon, and it is just back to back through the Word. They take a little nap, a little siesta, then they come back and do it from 7 to 9 p.m. that night. And by the time they're done, they're going to have gone through the entire Bible back to back. They're going to know English fluently, and they're most importantly going to know Jesus intimately. And that's critical because what we saw after the quake was, to me anyway, was like, oh, this is a, exposes a huge flaw in what we've done here. Our brothers and sisters in Haiti, they all got together as a church and they all came together on the property, hundreds of them, and brought their food and they shared it with each other and, and they put tents up and sheets and whatever they could find and then they waited for help because it didn't occur to anybody there to go and get help, to go and to figure it out, to go to the airport, to go. And it was, for me, this, oh, no. We have done a terrible job of awakening the possibility in these young men and women of how to be leaders. And at that point, I'm thinking, do we take, like, the John Maxwell, you know, the Stephen Covey? I mean, what, <laughs> what is culturally transcendent that could even make sense to them? And it's the Bible. A biblical worldview. I, I, we met a kid in Togo. I'm going to say his name wrong, but Jen, you might remember it. Uh, CD, CD, D, oh. Siditi. Got it. And I asked Siditi, like, what do you want to be? You just graduated from the Bible Institute. And he's like, Darren, you know, man's greatest honor is to bring glory to God. So if I'm swinging a hammer, I'll do it to his glory. If I'm preaching the gospel, I'll do it to his glory. And I'm like, who are you? And where did you come from? And that was what these young men that I'd encountered were saying who had been through this little Bible Institute. And I thought that is amazing. And we've kind of watched it. Now there's, and this is a picture from the Bible Institute in Togo right now. These young men here are either pastors currently or want to be, or just whatever God wants them to be. And they're getting ready to graduate unless they already have. It's close. Uh, and they're going to come out the other side and just go back to their little villages and their places and to take Jesus to them. And in Haiti, and I talked to Pastor Lafleur about this on Friday, I thought that's what we need to do there. 
We have all these young men and women, and if we could get them, if they feel the Lord leading, just to give us, you know, a year of their lives, we can invest in them in, in the word from morning to night. And then whatever, wherever they go from there, the mountains of Haiti, I mean, I've got it in my heart. Let's get them, let's help them. Let's get them passports. Like part of the thing, we're, they're going to get passports. And maybe they go to Togo. Uh, one of the beautiful pictures to me was how many of the people that populate Africa were stolen from their homes in Togo. That port in Lome was one of the, the worst slave ports uh, in Africa. And many of them were brought to Haiti. The, they're the same bloodlines. And so sending them there, I don't know what the Lord will do with it. But I feel like that's the door that we have to step through. And it's so easy. I mean, I feel like we could, we'll just, we could rent a house, build out some bunk beds in one room, uh, maybe two rooms and guys in one, girls in the other, two houses. I don't know. Uh, when you say we, that means oh yeah, welcome. we. Yeah, hi. This is exactly uh, <laughs> what we will work on. <clears throat> and to have this up and running, even maybe this year, that we could easily, with partnership with our friends at Calvary Chapel in Costa Mesa, have the content because that's all the, what they love about Chuck Smith is he's so dry and so unexciting and so he doesn't use a lot of metaphor so it's easily translatable so what in America doesn't is not very exciting in there it's like this is easy I can understand this uh, but, but maybe that's what we do that's what we're doing in Togo that's the Calvary Chapel Bible Institute in Ghana but that's what we believe we believe a conduit mission and I, I choke on the word Bible Institute because it's like well, it's just a room with some people in the Bible, but these young men in Togo, when they speak of the Bible Institute, they speak of it with this sense of pride and like, oh, that God has chosen me to bring me to the Bible Institute. To, and I thought, you know, I'll never apologize for that again, because in their hearts, that's, this is the Holy Spirit bringing them out of where they were, investing the word in them so that they come out the other side just drenched in Jesus and to send them out. They understood the value way more than I did. So that's part of our plan for this year. We're thinking in terms of it's going to cost us maybe ten dollars to $15,000 to get it up and running. Um, by the time we rent a house, build some bunk beds. If you come on that trip in April, we may actually, if we get the house rented by then, we could actually be building bunk beds by then. Yeah, we're working on it. So that, that's just part of it. Now, the big picture of the mission, and I'm, we're landing on, on this, and so get ready for our little video, because I want to inspire you this morning, <laughs> but is that... The mission in the church are separate because we never wanted a pastor in, you know, Kansas who's sending us money to think, well, Darren, that's kind of convenient. Then you could borrow from that to pay for that new sound system. And all I can think is you've not seen our speakers. You have no idea how we're not going to do that. Uh, but we kept it separate. So, A, they don't ever wonder. And, B, so we're never tempted. And we've never, it's completely two separate organizations from it. And so money flows from the outside into the mission. But I'm, part of our goal this year is to, to, be, to tell the story better, that this is us. It might be separate on paper, but it's not. The, the mission and the church are two sides of the same coin. And to tell you that as this year unfolds, that we're believing that God will uh, help to pay for, uh, for David. We've been trying to, we've got some ideas of how some revenues are going to flow. One of the ways that you can do that to help us is to tell your friends about it, to invite them to go on a trip with you, thinking, hey, God wants me to go, invite a friend to go with me. That's number one. Number two, if you've got a church or a you know, relationship in another city that they might be interested or looking for mission opportunities, let us know about them. We'll be glad to reach out and make it available to them. We've done mission trips. I, last summer, I led uh, the, the, the Bridge Church just down the street. Josh Howerton and those guys, great guys. 
your pastor here, me, led their mission trip for their team. Because we don't believe in this idea that there's little fiefdoms. We're all the body of Christ. But there are other churches out there that we could know about. So, one, you yourself going or inviting people to go. Two, telling us about churches, uh, other relationships that we could engage with. And three, uh, write a check. David uh, has been working for free. And, uh, and that's not the goal. He is continuing to tour manage, and, but we figured out that if, if we could raise somewhere around twenty-four dollars to $25,000 this year, that that could cover him enough where he could continue to tour manage and then uh, still uh, provide for his family. He was, uh, when we talked about it, he's like, it just feels so naked to talk about money like that. And I'm like, well, welcome to missions. You know, you were naked in, in the bush country, taking a shower with a bucket. This is just the same, just with money. But... Um, <laughs> You know, the, the money we need for the trips will be somewhere between 10 to 15 grand to help cover airfares for that as well. We're going to put all this together and put it on our website and put it on our Facebook group. But I wanted to invite you this morning to know that, hey, this is an us and this is a we need you uh, deal. That God is doing some incredible things, uh, but it's not about what he's already done. It's, okay, what's next? What's God doing next? And how can we continuing to get involved. And part of it is, hey, this Bible Institute, I'm fired up for this. I'm super excited about it. Uh, I, I, can't, I just can't wait. Because the thing is, and this is why this is so critical, I was talking with Eric about this, uh, Eric Fadley, that a missionary with bad theology can make some really dumb decisions. You know, you get this idea, oh, we gotta grow huge, everything's gotta be big and grand, and you know, because that's what they do in America. But what does Jesus say? And so if, I, if they start with that perspective, then it saves them from making mistakes that they were thinking it was Jesus when, in fact, it was just what they had learned from somebody else. So we start there. Boy, it's amazing what can happen with that. So we're starting with that. So if the Lord is leading you this morning, david at conduitmission.org. Okay, that is david at conduitmission.org. He's going to be out here as far as sign-up sheets go at the end of the service. Um, but if the Lord is leading you at all in any sort of a way as far as this year, or even if it's like, you know what, I can maybe afford to make a commitment of 100 bucks a month this morning I'll put towards the mission this year, you know, that, that's whatever the Lord is speaking to your heart this morning, uh, just, just listen. Listen if he wants you to go. Listen if he wants you to invite. Listen if he wants you to tell others. Listen if he wants you to financially lean forward on it and just be obedient to whatever he is speaking to you uh, this morning.